Welcome to Call to War 2016 video briefing number 12. This is uh, lesson number 8 in the series uh, on Kingdom Praying. Uh, Call to War briefing, video briefing number 1 was the overall direction that God gave for a round-the-world 24-hour prayer chain by time zone. And I'm thankful to say that we have commitments in, in, in at least 19 time zones and uh, around the world, and we're thankful for those that are participating with that. And uh, video briefing number two focused on the prayer that we're going to pray for the week of warfare and uh, the Lord, direction the Lord gave us from John from Joel chapter 2. And then video briefing number three focused on the time of preparation before the week of warfare, which we're in now as of uh, Tuesday of this week, October 4th. And then Call of War video briefing number four dealt with the reason why we're doing this, why we fight. Uh, God's promise to Abraham that he swore with an oath, confirmed to Abraham with an oath, and to Abraham's seed of the blessing of Abraham that's going to be poured out on the Gentiles in every nation, every family of the world. Beginning with Call to War video briefing number five and through this briefing, which is the last in this series, there will be one more Call to War video briefing that will be available on the Saturday before the week of warfare. But this is video briefing number 12. And from 5 through 12, we've been teaching on kingdom praying. And today is the day. This is the day we're going to get into the detailed specifics of exactly what Jesus taught us to pray. The uh, kingdom praying is taken from the scriptures that have been, been traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. The, uh, the Lord's Prayer, as recorded in the scripture, is actually John 17. That is a recording, or that is the record of Jesus' specific prayer, things he prayed, how he conversed with his Father, etc., etc. These Two contexts, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, uh, that we have called the Lord's Prayer, is not his prayer at all. These are both times or, or scriptural contexts in which he is teaching his disciples how to pray. As we talked about in the last lesson, Luke 11, verse 1, Jesus was praying, they heard Jesus pray, and they asked him, to teach them how to pray. And in Matthew 6, he was teaching on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he was teaching a mixed multitude, and he taught them how to pray. And so we're going to discuss this teaching of the Lord in how to pray today. Before we do that, I'm going to ask that you pray with me. For a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to be passed to us, given to us, that we might receive this spiritually, supernaturally, 
not just trying to intellectually receive this and understand this. And so uh, let's pray. Father, I'm so so thankful for this day. You brought us unto this day. You brought us unto this lesson. You have taught us how to pray. I'm sure that I'm wrong, but it seems like there are so few that truly, truly obey you in the instructions that you've given to pray. I pray that that is a gross error on my part, that there are multiplied millions that pray your your way. But either way, Father, we are speaking to you today. We are speaking the word of faith that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you would be given to us, that we would receive this revelation, that we would truly receive from you the empowerment that we would will, both will and do of your good pleasure, that you would activate in us the desire to participate with you in kingdom praying, and that you would empower us to pray kingdom prayers, that you would that we would understand, receive the authority that you've given us, and that with that authority we would participate with you in speaking and praying. And I ask you these things in Jesus' name, that you would give us the grace, grace to hear, the grace to see, the grace to understand in our hearts, and the grace to obey and participate with you for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the lost of this world, for the sake of your church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and I know there's probably very few that would be listening to this uh, or watching this uh, video briefing that uh, could not do a fairly decent job of quoting these. But humor me if you would, and I'm going to read them. Matthew 6, verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Luke chapter, two, uh, chapter 11 and verse 2. And he said unto him, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't take but a casual comparison of these two to realize that neither in the English or in the Greek are they word for word the same prayers. If the intent by the Lord Jesus was these were prayers that should be repeated word for word, verbally, then it would seem to me, it stands to reason to me, uh, that that they would match up exactly. But they do not because they, they were spoken in two completely different settings and scenarios and his purpose was not to tell us words to simply repeat and uh, be able to mindlessly recite. But he was teaching us the principles of his type of prayer for us that he wanted us to pray. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, as I've already said, 
this is in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all a part of one teaching session that Jesus did on, uh, on a mountainside to a large multitude of people. It was a mixed multitude. There were hungry people there, people that wanted to know God. They wanted to get closer to God. There were others there that were curious. And then there were there some there that were scoffers that were th- just there to see if they could catch him in something that so they could accuse him. Uh, and so when you read the context of Matthew chapter 6, as I have taught in a previous lessons, uh, he approached it a little bit different here. Uh, so he said, after this manner, or in this manner, pray ye, uh, therefore pray ye. In uh, Luke, two, uh, Luke 11, he is, uh, Luke 11, 2, he, he is praying in private. Uh, his closest disciples are, are around him, are nearby. They have heard him pray before. They, they're, they've just heard him finish praying again. And in that private setting of just him and his disciples, he prayed, or they asked him to teach them to pray. If you look in Matthew and you see the, uh, the accompanying context of the prayer there, most of that was instruction on how not to pray. And in uh, Luke 11, when you see the accompanying verses and the context, much of that had to do with the attitude of prayer and different uh, uh, concepts of prayer and how to utilize this prayer. And so it's very, very different. And so uh, even though the, the two are considered parallel, they are parallel but not exact, and we're not intended to be exact. But the, the principles, the points of each one of them is exactly the same, except for the last line of Matthew 6, uh, which we will get to in, in, in a little while, a little while. Uh, uh, but I will read you, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That is not in the Luke rendition. I, uh, it is my opinion that the reason it's not there is because it was included in his teaching to the mixed multitude to let them know that their motives had to be right. It wasn't enough to just pay, pray this prayer, but the motives had to be right. He did not have to specify this to his disciples because he dealt with their motives on numerous occasions and in numerous uh, approaches to uh, to get them to consider what their motive was and things. And so this is, uh, it, it's different. That's the, different, the primary differences between the two. There are some other differences. They are relatively minor. But uh, the, the one thing I wanted you to see here uh, is that he commanded us to pray. He commanded us to pray. Uh, he commanded us to pray like this. And uh, it's important for you to see this part, and I'm going to find it here. Here it is. Uh, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. We expand translation. says, therefore, as for you, in this manner, be praying. Living Bible says, pray along these lines. The, uh, the word to pray there is the most general, all-encompassing uh, Greek word for prayer. It includes all types of prayer. And uh, 
it uh, the, the the verb there is in the imperative tense of command in the Greek. But there are several different tenses of command, and this one particularly means that he is commanding them to pray like this, beginning right now, and to continually do this in the future. He's teaching that. He commanded that. After this manner, pray ye. In this way, pray ye. So, this is not something that he was suggesting. This was not a suggestion to his disciples. This was a command. And the command, the verb tense in the Greek, of the command stipulated by that very exacting choice of the Greek word and that tense for that Greek word, that it was something they were commanded to begin to do immediately and that it was supposed to be something they were habitually doing from then on. It had a starting point, but not an ending point. This was a command. So I've asked this in places. I'll ask this of you, dear friend, today. If I said, have you prayed today? I would hope that you've prayed today. Somehow. But if I ask, have you obeyed the Lord's command and prayed the way he commanded you to pray today? I have been very disappointed that I have rarely got uh, but a very small percentage of positive responses to that one. Why? Because we pray cultural prayers. We are religiously cultural prayers. What are those? We pray need-based prayers. We pray need-based prayers. We pray need-based prayers. We have a need, we pray. We don't have a need, we struggle to pray. So we put in our time, we say words, our minds are a million miles away, whatever. That's not what the Lord called us to do. And it's really, really amazing to look at this because when you look at both of these versions of this, the Lord's instruction on how to pray, praying for us comes way down the list. The things we're taught to pray in the beginning, the first half of this prayer especially, they're not directly for us. They're not for our direct benefit. They're for the kingdom of God. And I wonder how many that of you that are watching this or listening to this, how many of us truly pray like that? Jesus said, I know what you need before you ask it. So why, why are you taking thought for these things when if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll add all these things to you. You don't have to seek them. I'm not going to give them to you because you've earned them. I'm your father. I'm going to give them to you because you're my child. So therefore, you don't have to ask for all this stuff if you trust me as your father. So therefore, you can participate with me in the purpose that I came to the earth. Now, again, this prayer is divided into two fundamental parts. The first is kingdom praying. It is prayer that is prayed in cooperation and participation with Jesus For his wants, his needs, his desires in the earth. 
This part includes three things. First, our acknowledgement that, or four things. First, our acknowledgement that he is our father and that he is in heaven over all things. Second, for his name to be manifest the earth, that it might be sanctified in the sight of all mankind and thus given the glory that's due his name. Third, that his uh, kingdom would be manifested in the earth, that his kingdom would come in manifestation. And fourth, that his will would be done as it's already purposed in heaven, that it would be done in the earth. Those are all things that are important to pray. And as I've taught repeatedly in these lessons on kingdom praying, we have been given, we are a part of the body of Christ. Our head is sitting on the throne of heaven. We are to, we are his conduit for praying into the earth the things that he wants prayed, into the spiritual atmosphere of the earth the things that he wants prayed. We are his conduit. We are his conduit. And we're supposed to give ourselves to being his conduit. That's his will. That's what he's designed us to be, to do. That's what a body is. The head gives a direction. The body carries out those directions. That's what we're here for. We're not here. We're not believers. And we haven't given ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ so he could make our world perfect and solve all of our problems and take away all of our pain, problem, pressure. That's not what we're doing here. I realize you can't keep your TV program on the air if you preach that. Because you can't get big people to give big offerings when you tell them he didn't come to take care of all their problems. In fact, he's either directly or indirectly involved in your problems coming because he's your father and he's in control of everything. And there's nothing that can happen that he doesn't know about in advance. So, the purpose of all of this so we can participate with him fulfilling his plan and purpose in the earth. That's called kingdom praying. And these first four things are very significantly involved in the kingdom of God being manifest in the earth and his plan and purpose being fulfilled in the earth. Then part number two is prayer for ourselves and our protection and our salvation before, during, and after the battle. This includes several things here. Prayer for our daily bread. Uh, prayer for forgiveness and being forgiven. Prayer for us to not be led in temptation. Prayer to be delivered from evil. And prayer that our motive be checked because it's His kingdom, His power, His glory, etc., etc., there's no part of this pattern for prayer that deals with the past or asks him to fix an existing problem. Not one part of that. Everything about the Lord's pattern for our prayer concerns our participation with him and his purpose. That's the reason. That's, that's the reason. He said, after this manner pray ye. I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray according to these principles because these are very, very important. Again, the word pray is in the present imperative active tense of the Greek. <laughs> uh, according to 
the complete word study dictionary. The present imperative is in the active voice. It indicates a command to do something in the future which involves continuous or repeated action or when it is negated to stop doing something. So we need to do this now and we need to do it from him from here on in the future. This is what God has called us to do. Uh, it is important as we get into kingdom praying to understand the significance of this very first part of the prayer. It's not an introduction. It's a foundation. It's not uh, a nice little, Hiya, Lord, how you doing? It is an activation of faith and authority. It is an appeal that we might be his conduit. It is all of those things and more. It is so full of meaning and value and worth and impact that to skip over it would be uh, very, very negative. Uh, he said, Our Father who is in heaven. Uh, when this word Father is used of God, it uh, generally is used of him as creator, preserver, governor of all men and things, watching over them with paternal love and care. Thus, in the New Testament, he's called Father. Heard a great man of God preach many, many decades ago. I was a very young man. He preached a message called Capital F. And he quoted Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of course, the word Father there is capitalized, and he made the, the point that in the entire Old Testament, that's the only time that the word Father is capitalized in reference to God being our Father. And he explained in the message that the reason that is is because father with a small f is like father in creation, father in origination, the father of our country, George Washington. He didn't birth this country, but he was one of the key moving factors in it coming about. So he's considered the father of our country. And God is our creator. And so as our creator, he is our father. But when you capitalize the word Father with an F, capital F, that's always speaking of relationship of Father to Son. And that's kind of amazing that the only time the word Father is capitalized in the Old Testament is there in Isaiah 9 and 6. We do know that the man Christ Jesus referred to God as Father far, far more than any other appellation he could use or did use to refer to God. Probably uh, nine times to all others combined as one, he called God his Father. That's the man Christ Jesus. What, that wasn't the, the deity in the man, but the flesh of the man called God Father. And he is our Father. And he is our father in relationship. 
and I used this verse in the last lesson, but I'm going to do it again here. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because we're coming to our Father. We're coming to our Father's throne. Uh, Paul says that the only Lord God is our Father. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, But to us there is but one God, the Father. Not, nobody else is mentioned there. The Father. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 4 and 6 says, There's one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. This is who I'm praying to. This is who I'm speaking to. This is who I'm partnering with. And he says, our Father. Is that a subtle hint that we're, we really should be praying together at times, especially? Uh, and this warfare, this kingdom praying should be done uh, as more than one because Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. And uh, Jesus said in Matthew 18, that if any two of you agree on earth is touching anything, you'll have it of my Father which is in heaven. So is there some implication here that this kingdom praying doesn't need to be just alone, but it should be prayed in some kind of corporate setting, uh, at least at, at times. So God is our our Father, and He is in heaven. The Lord's attitude toward us is not anger, but merciful. Psalms 103.13 Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Uh, Jesus said, I and my father are one. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We are not praying to nor attempting to appease an angry God that is waiting for an opportunity to punish us. We are praying to the Father who is greater than all fathers. He didn't say our God which is in heaven. He didn't say we should pray our Savior which is in heaven. We didn't say our Lord which is in heaven. He is all of those things. He's all of those things. But Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, which is in heaven. Is He your Father? Are you comfortable calling God Father? So many people have had uh, a difficulty with their natural fathers. And through transference, because God calls Himself Father, our buried emotions, and maybe not so buried, toward our natural father and whatever problems we may have had with him we transfer those and impose those on to God and we consider that God is a father like our father was well he's not there's no father that's ever been like our father and he is in heaven over all things not because he's distanced from us but that's the guarantee of his victory for us and what he was willing to do through us because he is no longer here in the person of the Lord uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ facing the opposition of the adversary 
He's already fought the battles. He's already won. As the Lord Jesus Christ, he's already been uh, uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended to heaven, and he's sitting at the uh, in the place of authority in heaven, ruling over the universe. We're not praying to nor attempting to appease an angry God that is waiting for an opportunity to punish us. I said this before, I'm saying it again. We're praying to the Father who is greater than all fathers. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we, we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there's none that calleth upon thy name, none, none that, uh, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou our potter. And we are all the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee. We are all thy people. The, our Father is waiting for an opportunity to forgive. He's waiting for an opportunity to save. He cannot impose himself on any man. He cannot force anybody to make a choice against their will to be saved. But he's waiting for that opportunity. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, I was not a perfect father, I'm sure. But I love my sons. And I believe my sons love me. But no matter what, I have tried to teach them and try to do for them. And for whatever resources I may have, what I've tried to give them over the years when they were home and what help I've been able to do since they've been married. I'm nothing compared to the Father. How much more, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? Well, if I'm asking my Father, that implies I'm His Son, that implies that I have a relationship with him that would warrant, not earn, but warrant him doing that for me. And yet, <laughs> the amazing thing is, there was a son who disrespected his father so much that said, give me all of my inheritance. Oh man, I can't wait for you to die, so give me all my inheritance now. And he took it and he wasted it. Wasted it in partying and and uh, riotous living, the King James says. And he, all the money was gone, and he ends up in a pig pen. And uh, and there he came to himself and said, "My father's servants have bread enough to eat, and I'm here in this pig pen, and I'm so hungry, I'm about to eat the husks, uh, the refuge that has been dumped in this pig pen for these pigs to eat." I'm going home to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but let me just be your servant. 
And uh, so he went. And uh, he did not know his father very well because he didn't know what to expect. Uh, but the father was obviously watching closely, waiting. He, the father didn't go after the boy because he knew the boy wasn't ready to listen. The boy wasn't ready to come home. But he knew there'd be a day that his son would come home. And he was watching. I don't know how that man knew that little cloud of dust on the horizon was his son. I don't know how he knew. I don't know how he knew. But whatever age he was, he took off running, and he started running, and the, and the household servants and everybody said, what's he doing? And so they started running with him. And uh, he ran, and the closer he got, began to recognize the boy, and as the scripture says, he fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, the man had been living in a pig pen. He didn't look very good. He wasn't clean. And I'm sure he didn't smell very good. But the father fell on his neck, hugged him, kissed him. And the boy begins his speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be your servant. The father ignored the speech. He said, bring the best robe. The implication is they took off his rags because all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. They cleaned the boy up, put the father's best robe on him. And they said, put some, put some shoes on his feet because that's what peace is. Give him his peace back. Give him his righteousness. Give, give him my righteousness. Give him my peace. And then give him the ring that's, that, that is uh, the signature, my signature, so he has the authority to do business in my name. And by doing those three things, the father demonstrated that he completely restored his son to his sonship. Completely. What an amazing story. But it's not just a story, it's true. It's absolutely true. That's the attitude of our father. He's waiting for the opportunity to forgive and restore. This is the father that we are praying to. This is the father. Scripture says in Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba is the translation of the Hebrew word that's in this text, that's Father. And the word Father is the translation of the Greek word that's in this text, that means Father. So, the Spirit that's within us, calls out, both in Hebrew and Greek, Father, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Here we are. He's provided all this. Why would He... Let us suffer. I went into that in the last lesson. I'm not going to go into it very deeply again. But he suffered for us. Is a servant greater than the master? We don't suffer to earn anything. We don't suffer to earn anything. But we suffer with him so that we are accounted worthy to rule and reign with him when that time comes. In Jesus' name. The Bible says there's no greater love demonstrated nor honor shown by God to man than to call us his sons. Well, I, I love all the Bible, but there's just some verses, they just click. They just, they just mean so much. 1 John 3, 1, 
Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. How amazing that is. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, we now are we the sons of God. Right now we're the sons of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God right now. So Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who's already in the heavens, ruling over all. There's nothing out of his control. I can trust him with all of that. I can trust him with all of that. Now, what's so amazing is, <laughs> the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are completed him, which is the head of all principality, and power. And then some of my verses that I pray the most and rarely ever minister without these coming through here. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. For wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye might know, ye may know, what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. <laughs> we slide right by that, not only in this world. Just slide right by that. Oh, in heaven, we're going to have this in heaven. Oh, that's going to happen in heaven, whatever. What about now? What about right now? This says that right now, our Father, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, is sitting on the throne of the universe, ruling over all, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name of His name. Right now, in this earth, right now. Well, why aren't we seeing more? Well, the next verse kind of gives you an idea. And hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Oh, wait. So the head can't work in the earth without working through the body? The head can't work in the earth without working through the body. Really? The head can't work in the earth without working through the body heads in heaven sitting on the throne the body and there's no disconnection between the head and the body the head sends all the directions through the body and the body's supposed to do the work we are the body of Christ so why don't we pray like the body of Christ isn't it time to pray like the body of Christ isn't it time to pray like our head is sitting on the throne of heaven? When I pray 
every morning and I get into this time of prayer as the Spirit leads. And I'm praying our my fathers in heaven. I pray some element of this prayer almost every day as the, again as the as the flow of the spirit leads me to. Why? Because I want my ears to hear. I want my my mind to understand. I want my heart to believe and know that I'm not some isolated helpless little being down here just trying to get by, just trying to survive but that I am a member of a body whose head is already in heaven, sitting on the throne of heaven, ruling over everything. And that as his body, and that being where his feet is, he's put all things under his feet, which are, which is me and you. And he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body. And Paul said, I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that you might know this. Why? Because if you know this, you're going to pray like this. Oh, when is the church going to stop praying like a bunch of helpless victims? Poor old church. Poor old church people. God asks so much and gives so little. Oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. It's a hard life to live. We get we're, Look at all the stuff we're deprived of, all the stuff on this tree that's desired to make one wise. Really? So we, will, we really want the knowledge of good and evil? We want to know about all that? I was in a meeting. Man was talking about how we should pray so that we wouldn't have lewd dreams in the night. I'm so thankful for what God has done for him and how the Lord has saved him and how the Lord has brought him out of that place of those lewd dreams. <laughs> I'm not bragging. I, I, it's just a fact of life. I, I've been married 48 years. I've never had a dream yet where I was involved with anybody physically other than my wife. I don't take the credit for that. I don't take the credit for that. I don't take the credit for that. I'm thankful that God has given my brother a way to pray to try to avoid his lewd dreams in the night. But I don't have to pray like that. Am I better than him? Absolutely not better than him. I'm, but I'm a son. He's a son. God, the Father helps him as a son. And the Father helps me as a son. I have my own problems. God helps me with mine the way he helps me with mine. But when it all comes down to this, we're a part of the body. And our head, our Father, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of the universe waiting for His body to begin to respond to Him. Now, <laughs> I have a question. 
if the head is sending signals to the body and the body's not responding, is it possible there's really only two conditions that could be? One, either the body is paralyzed or the body's asleep. Because in both of those conditions, the head is trying to communicate with the body and the body's not responding. They're not the same thing, but they're both debilitating to the will of God. They're both debilitating to the plan and purpose of God because how can the head do anything in the earth when the body's not cooperating, when the body's not being obedient? How can the head do anything in the earth when that's the case? So those are some of the things I think of and pray when I and pray about either in a short amount of time or a long amount of time when I pray about my Father, that I'm praying to my Father which is in heaven. And again, by the grace of God, I want to be a conduit for the head to be able to speak and work in the earth. That's my greatest goal because he promised me if I would put his kingdom first, he'd take care of all my stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So that's the goal here, is to seek him first, put his kingdom first, participate with him, be his conduit, and not worry because I've got a father that's going to take care of these things. He won't give me any more or less than I need and can be saved with. I've said this many, many times. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be used. But the greatest challenge God, God has is to save the person he mightily uses because it is so easy for flesh to get involved when a person is being mightily used of God to begin to take the glory of God, the credit, and all of that, and those things are open doors to damnation. So, I don't ever want my mind, my heart, my soul, my spirit to ever doubt who is the originator of all this, where all this came from, who gave this, who explained this, who speaks, who works. That's why it's so important not to just skip over our Father, which art in heaven. The second thing we'll talk about is this. This is... Uh, in the King James, it's 1611 English, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's not very relevant to us today. Uh, we're to pray, hallowed be thy name. Now, it's very important for you to know that every single verb in this prayer is in the imperative tense, but one. That means we're not asking God to do these things but we're a conduit for him to speak through us and command through us. Now, I taught that in, in uh, uh, briefing number 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> I, I taught that in various ways and parts and whatever. So I'm not going to go back through that today. But we are his conduit, and we are speaking words of command. We're not commanding God. God is commanding through us into the spiritual atmosphere. 
Now, the Amplified says this, Pray therefore like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, kept holy be your name. Which the expanded translation says, Let your name be venerated. Uh, Darby's translation says, Let thy name be sanctified. In the Greek, literally, it is, uh, Be sanctified thy name. It's command. The word hallowed means to render or declare sacred or holy, consecrate, to render or acknowledge to be venerable, to hallow, to separate from things profane and dedicate to God, to consecrate, to purify. The word name is very important because it comes from the root word gnosko, which means to know. So if you, if you know a person's name, it implies you know them. Thayer says it, that name, uh, the word name by which a person or thing is called and distinguished from others. It's used for everything which the name covers. Everything the thought or feeling, uh, every, everything the thought or feeling of which is roused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, remembering the name. Can't separate God from his name. Weeks expanded translation of Luke 11, 2 says, He said to them, when you pray, be saying, Father, cause your name to be set apart as sacred and the object of veneration. Cause your name. I command that your name be sanctified. I command that your name be holy. According to the United Bible Society Translators uh, Handbook for Matthew 6 and 9, it says, through the use of the noun name, Matthew is able to refer to God without mentioning him. In the Bible, name is often a substitute for the person spoken of. It is a way of referring to God as he has revealed himself in history, and it indicates the very presence of God himself. Scholars note that the passive form of the verb is used to avoid giving God a direct command. The petitioner is asking God to cause people to honor his sacred name, that is, to honor God himself. And I I personally disagree with that last part there. Because I'm not commanding God. I'm command, I'm speaking God's command for His name to be sanctified into the earth. The sanctification of our Lord and His name must begin in the hearts of those who come before Him in prayer. Leviticus 10.3 says, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people I will be glorified. So if we're going to pray, I command the name of Jesus be sanctified in the earth. That sanctification has got to start with me. The Bible says in Psalms 111.9, He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and revered or reverend is His name. Leviticus 22 and 31 says, Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. That brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I'm the Lord. I want to be sanctified of you because I'm the one that sanctified you. And then Isaiah 29 and 22. Therefore thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall now be ashamed. Shall not now be ashamed. Neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of my hands in the midst of him. 
They shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. And then finally, the voice from heaven spoke in the presence of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus said, John 12, 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. How is the name of the Lord glorified? The name of the Lord is glorified by it being manifested. Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, I have manifested thy name in the earth. Because the name of the Lord is his memorial to all generations. Psalms 135.13, Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. 2 Samuel 7.26, And let, the name, let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. Nehemiah 9 and 5, uh, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. We are praying with him that his name will be sanctified in the earth. Listen to this. I know there's a lot of scriptures, but I'm trying to cover this. Ezekiel 38, 23. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the... The Lord is talking. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And listen to what Malachi prophesied concerning the name of the Lord. For from the rising of the sun even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord. How is the Lord's name going to be great among the Gentiles? Because the church, which is mostly Gentiles, is going to be the conduit through the Lord, through which the Lord manifests His name. And as the Lord manifests His name, we will praise and honor and glorify His name because of what He does through and with His name. When Peter prayed for the lame man at the gate beautiful of the temple, he said, silver and gold, such as I, I, I uh, such, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and the man was immediately healed. And when the crowd asked him, how did you do this? He said, if you're asking by what power, by what name we've done this, it was his name, by faith in his name, that's made this man strong here. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, how can people be saved by a name they profane that they use as a swear word and a curse word? <sighs> Ezekiel thirty-six sixteen. It's a lengthy reading, but it is very, very, very convicting. Ezekiel thirty-six sixteen. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and I'm skipping down to verse twenty. And when they entered into the entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. The people of God profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are going forth out of the land. But I had pity for my whole mine holy name, 
which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. I, I, I would that I could say today that the church has never been participant, a participant in the name of Jesus being profaned in the earth. But I can't do it. Next verse. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. And then skipping down. No, I'm going to keep reading. How did he do that? How did the Lord sanctify his name? How did he do that in the eyes of the heathen? Verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you from out of all countries. Will bring you into the, to your own land and then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. And you shall be clean for all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be their God. Not for your sakes do I do this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. Wait, 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 wait. How did he sanctify his name that had been profaned? By the giving of the new covenant. By the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When I am praying, in the name of Jesus, I command that the holy, precious name of the Lord be sanctified. I command that the church manifest the name of the Lord in the earth. What am I ultimately praying for? He said, I'm not going to do this for your sake. I'm going to do this for my holy name's sake. I'm going to sanctify my holy name. How? I'm going to give you a clean heart. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways, keep my judgment. So an outpouring of the Spirit and people getting saved sanctifies the holy name of God in this world. Jesus' name. So when I'm praying for the name of Jesus to be sanctified because I'm commanding in the name of Jesus, that his name be manifested, demonstrated in the earth through the church. And that results in people being saved, new covenant being poured out. This will cause his name to be sanctified where it has been profaned. In Jesus' name, let it be so. In Jesus' name, it is so. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, our Father, who's already on the throne of heaven, whose name is high above all, who's lifted up. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command that the people of God give themselves to you
that you might minister through them and flow through them by your authority, by your power, by your name in for your kingdom's sake, that your name might save and in, in, in your name saving souls and that your spirit would be poured out upon them and people being saved by the outpouring of your spirit and your name being called upon them. Your name would be sanctified in the earth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. The second part. You see, all of this is really connected. You're not praying for three, for four different things. You're praying for four interrelated, interconnected, mutually dependent things. You can't have the name of Jesus sanctified without the kingdom of God coming. The kingdom of God can't come and the, and the will of God and uh, the and the name of Jesus be sanctified without the will of God being done. And the will of God can't be done without the kingdom of God being manifested in the name of Jesus being demonstrated in the earth. It's all interconnected. So we are to pray for the power and authority of God's kingdom to be manifest in the earth. Thy kingdom come. Young's Little Translation says, Thy reign come. Living Bible, we ask that your kingdom will come now. Uh, we expand a translation of Luke 11 and 2. Your kingdom calls, it, calls that it should come. We can... I'll read a little bit here if you don't mind. We can conclude that since by definition the existence of a Lord must precede the existence of dominion and thus a kingdom, then the reverse is also true. In order to establish the kingdom of God, we must be involved in the Lord Jesus Christ becoming the Lord of the lives of people. When someone submits their lives to his lordship, then again, by definition, we're expanding or increasing his kingdom or government in the earth. Spiritual warfare is necessary to combat the resistance to the lordship of Jesus in people's lives by the enemy of their souls, the devil. His influence on lost mankind is clearly established in the Bible. The lost specifically are specifically described as being blinded by him and as his being and as being his captives. Therefore, the lordship or kingdom of Jesus in order for the lordship of the kingdom of Jesus to grow, that influence of the adversary upon the souls of men has to be defeated supernaturally by spiritual or supernatural weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What's inside those strongholds? Souls of captive, the, the, the souls of captive men who are lost. Thus, spiritual warfare must be the foundation of all efforts to reach the lost. If it, if it is absent from our efforts, then the unavoidable result is futility, frustration, and failure. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are actually asking for the power and the authority of his kingdom to be manifest in the earth so that the lost can be freed from the enemy's influence and be saved. Thy kingdom come. Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. He told the disciples, when you go out and you pray and 
People are healed. You tell them the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. The kingdom of God has to be demonstrated. The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So if the kingdom is within me, the, whole, within me, the Holy Ghost is within me. And the kingdom of God needs to be manifested through me in power or demonstration. That's why Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, that people's faith, faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> I've said this too many times. Got too many people upset with me already. You know why we're not seeing more miracles? Because almost everybody we pray for is in the church building. Most, almost everybody we pray for are saved. So I'm going to pray off of people, what the Father allowed to come on them. For their good and the good of the kingdom. Because for us that are saved, the scripture says, and we know, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So if I love God and I've called and, sub and submitted to his purpose, then all things work together for good. I'm going to pray off of me. Stuff the Lord has allowed in my life for my good. No, it may be painful. It may be difficulty. It may be difficult. It may be hard to deal with. Impossible to deal with without him. But it's all there for my benefit. Just like Paul praying for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. Well, that thorn in the flesh was keeping him saved. Because the Lord said that he gave that to Paul because of the abundance of his revelations. He didn't want Paul getting the big head. So God gave a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul. The word buffet means to beat on with the fists. And when he prayed, Paul prayed for this to be removed. He prayed three times. God said, no, no, no. Here's my answer. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, therefore will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest on me. So we're trying to pray stuff off of people that our Father's allowed to come on them not because he's punishing them. Not because he's not a good father. He loves us. But he's allowed that to come on us for our benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom. Lazarus died for the glory of God. It didn't feel like it much for three days. Now, we want to see miracles? Start praying for sinners that need a miracle. And let's start praying for people outside of our church building. Well, we got to have the music just right and the emotion just right. we got to have the atmosphere just right for people to get healed. Or so, can you show me one of those situations in the book of Acts or in Jesus' ministry where the atmosphere was just right? Where the music was just right? Where everything was hyped to just a certain point? Oh, God, help us. Help us. How do we get here? 
How did we get here? How did we get to the place that we... that we're hiding inside of buildings? How did we get here? Keep accidentally touching the screen. All it takes it back to the beginning of the notes. Forgive me for my interruption here. I'd gone a ways, hadn't I? How in the world are we expecting God to do great miracles when the only miracles we see 90% of the time only happen for those that come to our building? How? Jesus taught us to pray. In the imperative tense, thy kingdom come. Or, I command that the kingdom of God come in manifestation in the earth through the people of God. I command that it come through the people of God. He empowered 12, and then he empowered 70 more. He gave them power and authority over devils and to heal all sicknesses and disease. And he sent them out. He didn't say, drum up a bunch of people to come to the temple so you can pray for them there. He sent them into their villages and their cities and towns. He sent them out to cast out devils, to heal the sick and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He sent them out. What do we do? Oh, we have got a thousand one methods to try to get people to come here to our building so that we can have church in our safe environment. So people, <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. You want to see how safe somebody is? Just let a visitor come that they know and watch how quickly their worship dries up. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before Man, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father, which is heaven. You may not believe this, and that's okay. It doesn't matter to me. But by personality test, I am an introvert. And actually, I'm a little bit on the extreme side of an introvert. It is very difficult for me naturally to meet people. Even in the church, people I don't people in the church, but I don't know. It, it, it's very uncomfortable for me. I, I, I'm just, it's just very difficult. Once I get to know you, I'm fine. It's not a problem. The only time it's not like that for me is under the anointing of the Spirit. That's it. That's it. I am not a big crowd person. I'm not someone that has to have a a crowd around me to always be doing something with me. I don't, that's not me. I'm not, it's not me. I can sit in my family room in my recliner with my iPad and read and whatever else I'm, and pray, whatever else I'm doing. And I'm fine. I don't need a crowd. 
but the Spirit of the Lord works through me completely contrary to my personality. Completely contrary. So it's not a matter of, well, I'm this or I'm not that or whatever. That's what you got the Holy Ghost for. And if the only time I'm going to worship God is in this building, wow, you know what? So many of our churches have great music and great singing and great preaching. I wonder what kind of impact it would have if it was out there instead of in here. Nah, we don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be made. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to risk that. So we're willing for people to go to hell while we protect our ego. I'm not trying to be unkind here. Honestly, I'm not. I'm not. The Lord has used me to win people in cold door knocking where I didn't know who was on the other side of that door. But let me tell you something. It's only the Lord that gets me to that door. It's only the Lord that gets me to raise my hand and knock on that door. Because that is so foreign to my personality. But he's done it. And he's used me. If he'll use me, he'll use anybody. Because he's no respecter of persons. So, let me get back to it here. John the Baptist preached the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Before the day of Pentecost, he sent out 12 and then sent out 70, commanded them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 9, 2, he says, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Don't just preach the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom. Luke 10, 9, he said, and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God's come nigh unto you. You can't separate the preaching from the kingdom from the uh, the preaching of the kingdom from the demonstration of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom. Well, why do we have this? Because the way we pray. We don't pray that kingdom come. Because there is no way in this world I can faithfully pray every day for His name to be manifest in the earth and for His kingdom to come in the earth and then not eventually begin to take ownership of that in here and participate. It's impossible. But if I'm only praying for my needs and I don't ever get around to this, I don't ever have to become part of that. Oh, Jesus, help us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet, be partakers of the inheritance of saints and light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, isn't it time for the kingdom of the Son to be manifested through us in the earth? I've talked about this before. Previous briefings. 
But for 30 years, Jesus was essentially anonymous. So much so that after he began to be manifested as the Christ, his hometown could not accept him as the Christ because he was the carpenter. He's Mary's boy. That carpenter that spent all these years building stuff that we've got in our houses, he's the Christ? He couldn't accept it. But there was a day that he closed that carpenter shop door for the last time. Walked down to the Jordan River where his cousin was baptizing. And he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, which quickened things in him that it was time to be manifested. And for the next three and a half years or so, he was manifested the Son of God, and everybody in Israel knew it. Everybody in Israel knew it. That's how the Old Testament ended. The New Testament began on the day of Pentecost, some 50 days after his crucifixion. Or excuse me, 50 days after his resurrection. There it is. Kingdom of God poured out. He told some of them, you won't, uh, you won't taste of death till you see my kingdom come with power. They lived to see it. They were there when his kingdom came with power. Why is it the kingdom of God manifested today? Because we don't pray kingdom prayer. We don't pray what he taught us to pray. I'm not trying to be unkind here. Honestly, I'm not. I have no purpose in being unkind. I can't even see you. I'm looking at a camera. Why, should, why, why would I try to be offensive to somebody I don't even know who's watching this? Why would I do that? I, I've got nothing to gain in this. I'm not... Nobody's charging for any of this. There's no money to be made in this. There's no fame to be made in it. None of it. I got nothing to gain in this except the privilege to be a part of the kingdom of God and to be a conduit of what he wants to do for whatever my part is in this. I'm not trying to be offensive to you. But how long, how long are we going to continue to play church? How long? How long are we going to go through the motions just having good church after good church and think we're okay and think that's okay with God and pray through? Oh, yeah, I'm all, it's awesome that 3,000 got the Holy Ghost here and 3,000 got the Holy Ghost there, two or three or four places in the earth. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But what about here? What about where you are? Does some 3,000 get, get in the Holy Ghost in Central America or... Some island in the Pacific or some nation in Africa? Is that okay with you that nothing's happening where you are? Is that okay with you? Not okay with me. God's no respecter of persons. 
I don't mean to be offensive. I'm thrilled to death those people are getting the Holy Ghost. But that doesn't do a thing for me. I'm not ready to sit back and retire because somebody's getting the Holy Ghost someplace else. Because there's a couple of, you know, I'm thankful for every single person that gets the Holy Ghost. But when 3,000 get the Holy Ghost in one meeting in America, that's going to get my attention. When 3,000 get the Holy Ghost in one meeting in Europe, that's going to get my attention. When 3,000 get the Holy Ghost in a Muslim nation, that's going to get my attention. When 3,000 get the Holy Ghost in Asia someplace, in one service, that's going to get my attention. Am I disrespecting in any way the move of God where 3,000 people have gotten the Holy Ghost here or there and whatever. No, no, no. That's not the purpose. That's not what I'm saying. It's not my motive. But, oh, Lord God, if he's no respecter of persons, then how can I be satisfied if it's not happening here? I'm not willing to sit back and say, well, we're here and it's happening. Because it, the Holy Ghost, somebody's getting the Holy Ghost to Central America or Africa, someplace else. It's not happening in this country, not like that. It's sure not happening here in Maryland like that. Not happening in D.C. like that. Not happening in Annapolis like that. And God's no respecter of persons. Why ain't it happening? Because we're not praying the kingdom. We're not praying the kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, 18, upon this rock, thou art Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Oh, you said, that says kingdom of heaven, preacher, not kingdom of God. Yeah, I know. And the phrase kingdom of heaven is found in no book in the entire Bible except the book of Matthew. No other place that, I, that my concordance found. And why would that be the case? Especially when in parallel verses in Mark and Luke, in parallel verses, the phrase kingdom of God is used by Mark and Luke when Matthew used kingdom of heaven. Are they different or are they synonymous? They're synonymous. Here's why. Because according to theologians, Matthew primarily wrote his gospel to the Jewish believers. And we know that the followers of Jesus constantly were wondering, when is the kingdom going to be restored? Just before his ascension, the disciples asked the resurrection Christ, are you now going to establish your kingdom now? What kingdom were they talking about? The kingdom of God on the earth with David or the son of David 
as the king sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem, ruling over the whole earth. Theologically, I call that the millennial kingdom, and that's coming. But it's not now. That's not the kingdom that's here now. So in order to differentiate between the kingdom they, the Jews were expecting and what God was doing, Matthew called it the kingdom of heaven. So without explanation, let me go to this. He said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wait, wait, wait. What do keys work on? Locks. Locks on doors. Or how about gates? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Greek is literally according to several translations. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. And that will parallel with the next part that we will be talking about. Uh, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And the Greek is literally, your will as it's already purposed in heaven, I pray for it to come into being or come to pass in the earth. So again, these keys are not something we initiate. We can't just go around binding and loosening anything we feel like. But they are the keys that open the gates that let us demonstrate the kingdom of God in the earth. Now, (laughs) how else do you manifest the kingdom without using the keys of the kingdom? I cannot bind a person's will and make them obey God. I cannot pray in such a way to bind anyone's will. God will not violate a human's will, and we cannot. But there are things we can pray. The Bible says that God gives his beloved sleep. I prayed this just this morning. Again. Lord, all of those who are not in the place with you they need to be, who claim either those that claim to be saved and those that don't. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind them from being able to sleep. And loose the angels of God to visit them in the night with dreams and vision that they might have, that conviction of the Lord and the fear of the Lord would come upon them that they might depart from evil. Say, so that's, that's, that's a terrible thing to pray. Oh, Really? So hell, letting them go to hell without doing something about it is okay, but praying that they can't sleep if they're in danger of hell is bad? This morning, just this morning in prayer, I got to thinking again about hell. The Bible says hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That means hell is so horrible that it's considered eternal punishment 
for spirit beings. What kind of torment is it going to be for a natural being, an earthly being? I got to thinking about that. If your body is burning on 100% of the surface of it, every moment, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, forever, and your body is being supernaturally preserved so that it doesn't burn up, and yet you feel every bit of the pain, how do you not lose your mind? Then the scripture says that it's a bottomless pit. So you're not standing around someplace or sitting around someplace burning. You're falling through a lake of fire, a bottomless pit filled with fire so that it's a lake of fire, and you're falling through that. Your body burning, you're fa falling forever. How do you not lose your mind? There's only one way. The same way your body is supernaturally preserved. Your mind is kept from the relief that it would get by you going insane. So your mind never stops working forever and ever. And I said, Lord, you are a God of love. You're so kind and gracious and good and just. How horribly offensive to you it must be for someone to choose to reject you, their God, their Father, their Creator, and be lost that you can still be love and good and just and right and preserve them to burn forever, to fall forever and all the other torments of hell. How do you do that? So, you're going to say to me how horrible it is to pray when Jesus said, if your eye offend thee, pluck it out. Better to go to heaven with one eye than hell with two. Where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. If your foot offend you, if, or your hand offend you, cut it off. Better go to heaven with one hand than to hell with two. Where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. If your foot offend you, cut it off. Better to go to heaven with one foot than to hell with two feet where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And you're going to tell me there are things that you won't pray on people because it's, it's, not, it's unkind. What's unkind is a church that doesn't pray for a believer that doesn't pray and use everything at their disposal to pray that somehow that a, a lost soul would be brought to the attention of their condition so that if they go to hell, at least they went knowing they were choosing to reject God rather than a state of spiritual blindness when they don't even know what's wrong with them.
Paul said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid the number of the lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine on them. The lost can't even decide whether or not they want to be saved while they're blind. And praying blindness off of them is not going to guarantee salvation. But at least, if they're no longer blind, they are making a decision based on knowledge. And if they're foolish enough to make that decision after they see, then it's on them. But if they're blind and they can't see, and the church has been given the power to pray this blindness off of them, to bind the strong man and cause the gates to be opened to that stronghold so they can be free, then it's on us. It's on us. Oh, I've heard it till I'm sick of it. Well, you know, our gospel, our doctrine keeps people from being saved. Our belief in living a separated life is keeping people from being saved. Or, or the way we worship is keeping people from being saved. That is so asinine. Because that's the strongest word I can use without cussing and I'm not going to do that. It's ludicrous. It's just people who are looking for a way to live after their own lust and their own flesh that preach stuff like that that have taken that position. It's not my gospel. It's not my committed lifestyle. I mean, how many of you that are married would be married if the attitude was, now I'm going to be married to you, but I want to know what the minimum is I've got to do to stay married to you. How many of you would want a wife or a husband like that? When I when I married my wife, I vowed to forsake all others for. For her only so long as I both, uh, we both shall live. I vowed that. For a human. And I'm not going to live like that. For my father God. My father. Who's made me a son. My spiritual groom Christ. Who's made me a part of the bride. My head who's sitting on the throne of the universe. Who has made me. Part of his body? It's just cop out. It's just excuse. It's just a justification for being able to preach what you want to preach so you can live however you want to live. No. I can bind and loose. People are going to be saved. They're going to be saved. They may not all be saved, but I have a right to pray for them all. Because Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I have the right to pray for every one of them that whatever God's got to do to get their attention, that He does it. And that we be the conduit for those prayers in the earth. We have a right to do that. Why aren't we praying it? Because we're just praying about our needs. I've asked this so many times. I'm going to ask you again. If the Lord ever answered every prayer that you've prayed in the last 30 days, would eternity be affected at all? Or would just your own little world be affected? Your pain would go away. Your need would be met. Your problem would be solved. Your pressure would be relieved. Because that's what you pray for. 
That's not what kingdom praying is. That's what we pray for. Do I have any pain, problem, or pressure that are so critical, that are so unbearable, that are so horrible, that it justifies me not participating with the kingdom? I'm going to say it again. I'm not trying to be unkind here. But do you understand the lost are going to hell? And they're going to burn forever? And the only hope they've got is for the church who has the name called on them, who has the kingdom of God living in them, who is supposed to be doing the will of God in the earth, who has a father sitting on the throne of heaven that we're a part of his body, has the right to pray, the responsibility to pray, the right to pray and the responsibility to pray. But if we pray that, nah. Call a prayer meeting for church, see how many shows up, how many just wanders around talking to each other. Call an all-night prayer meeting. See how many sleep through most of it. No. No. We don't pray. But it's time to pray. And hear me. I mean this with all kindness. If you persist in being a need-based prayer, God loves you so very much. He will make sure you've got needs you have to pray for. So you'll pray. If you persist in being a need-based prayer rather than a kingdom, prayer your father loves you so very much he will assure that you have desperate needs to pray for so you can pray fervent prayers but you see if i'm a kingdom prayer does it get bad enough that i'm going to divert and pray for that i'm going to cast it as a care just like i taught in the last lesson i'm going to cast it as a care I'm not carrying it. I'm not carrying the pressure of it. I'm not, I can't fix it. I can't solve it. I'm going to give it to God. But I'm going to pray kingdom prayers. Because that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to do. The Bible says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. <laughs> so are we out preaching the gospel of the kingdom? Or we preach the gospel of the church? Come to church. Get saved so you can be a part of the church. That's the gospel of the church. The gospel of the kingdom is come, become a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ so he can, can work through you and prove how great he is through you. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' name. I've got to hurry here. Time is moving by. We are to pray. We are to command that the will of God as it's already purchased in heaven be done in the earth. We're not commanding God to do anything. We are conduits for his will that he's already determined in heaven to have an access to the earth, to have a conduit to be spoken into the earth. So when I command that the will of God be done in the earth, as it's already purposed in heaven. I'm not commanding God to do anything. It's God doing the commanding. I'm just a conduit. Huh. Oh, there's so much here. The Bible says, Psalms 103:20, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, and hearkening unto the voice of his word. The angels of God participate with those who do the will of God. 
not with those who don't do the will of God. What did Christ came for? Psalms 40, verses 7 and 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 13 says, Then then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. That's what the man Christ Jesus was manifested for, was to do the will of God. That's what he did every day, as he sought for the will of his Father to do it. The will of God is powerful. The will of God is is logos manifested in the earth. And I pray, I command that the will of God is His purpose in heaven to be loosed in the earth. I command that the church of the living God would do the will of God. I command that the logos, the plan, the purpose of God, as it's fully contained in logos, would prevail in the earth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose it to prevail in the earth. I loose every rhema, promise of God given to every individual to be renewed in their faith that they would use the sword of the Spirit to see it come to pass. I loose the oath that God has made to Abraham and his seed for the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the Gentiles as I taught in briefing number four. I pray that in the earth. And then there's some mixing there usually by the spirit i i don't stay rigidly with either one because those three are so greatly connected with number one there's some praying back and forth as the spirit flows and as i do binding and loosing binding the spirit of iniquity loosing the spirit of humility and submission to god bind their spirit of idolatry the spirit of false doctrine Spirit of the occult, spirit of rebellion, disobedience, loosing the spirit of the Lord, the love of God, the power of God, the grace of God to be manifested in our lives, the mercy of God to save us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's just almost no end to that. As the spirit leads, there's almost no end to that. I, I always run out of time before I run out of something to pray. Which is what's so great about this. Because when I was primarily doing need-based praying, I frequently ran out of something to pray before I felt like I should be through with prayer. But where did I go after I prayed for all my needs? Where did I go? Well, thankfully, I learned a long time ago to pray in tongues, and that was a saving factor. Because then I just pray in tongues most of the time. And that's valid, and it's okay. But Paul said we've got to do both. We've got to pray in the in the spirit with tongues and we got to pray with understanding also and I didn't know how to pray with my understanding effectively I didn't know how so I uh, I long to be taught by Jesus how to pray I long to do that there's a lot some wonderful stuff in in here again these notes are going to be available after this uh, briefing is made available they'll be in a pdf file on uh, apostoliciron.com there's no charge for them you can take them use them use them any way you want to except sell them you do not have a right to sell them i'm giving them away freely you receive freely you give you share them but you can't sell them i'm not selling them to you and you're not selling them so 
there's much here, a lot of scriptures, a lot of good direction on how to pray kingdom of God. The will of God is equal to the word of God. The word of God is equal to the will of God. Paul said that we are to pray that his word would have free course. That when we preached, we're to pray that his word would have free course. And when you, when you look up the Greek there, it means that it would spread rapidly and be readily accepted. We are to pray that the word of God would have free course. Paul said, pray for me that utterance would be granted unto me that I might speak the word of God with boldness. That's all part of kingdom praying. It's all part of praying the will of God. Be done. Jesus' name. And then finally, a very short amount of time here, I'm afraid, there are, the rest of this prayer is protection. The prayer of protection. In Matthew 6, Jesus told the the disciples and those were at the Sermon on the Mount, you don't pray for food, what you're going to eat. Then why is he telling us to pray for bread? Give us this day our daily bread. Why is he saying that? Because it's a different prayer and it's a different purpose altogether. No man goes to war in his own charges. No man goes to war in his own charges. Napoleon says that a belly mar- a, a, a mar- army marches on its belly. In other words... The ability of an army to fight is no greater than its supply line being able to adequately feed and take care of it. And the adversary knows that if he can't stop us any other way, he wants to stop us by making sure we don't have adequate resources to do the will of God. So we pray, all right, (laughs) we do that amiss prayer, you know. I'm praying to consume it on my own. Say, oh God, supply my need here so I can keep running up my credit cards and so I can keep uh, spending and keep accumulating stuff, etc., etc. That's not what he's teaching us to pray for. We are to pray for the kingdom of God to have the resources to fulfill the great commission to preach the gospel to every creature. I don't know any church that preaches the full truth. That has unlimited resources to do everything God told, is telling them to do. I don't know anybody. And the great, 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 great majority of churches that are preaching the fullness of the truth have very limited resources. Very limited resources. The Word of God says that it, God has ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Not just the pastor being full time. But those that are involved in ministering the word as a part of a local church in starting preaching points and daughter works and teaching Bible studies and leading care groups should be full time. <laughs> Where's that money coming from? We don't have it. Paul said, I told the Corinthians, he said, I robbed other churches taking wages of them so I could make the gospel of no charge to you. Look up the word wages there. It's a soldier's pay. I'm afraid some are taking money on false pretenses. Because, brother, if you're not leading your church in warfare, then you don't have a right to soldiers pay. Oh, but boy. Woo. I'm going to have some folks upset with me over that one. I didn't write it. Not my word. You got a problem with that because somebody's saying it? 
You think me not saying it's going to take it out of the book? No. So we're to pray. Lord, protect the supply lines. I rebuke the devourer who's trying to hinder us from having the men, material, and money that's necessary for this army of God to fight the battle that you'd have us to fight. Win the war so souls could be saved. And then, I, I, I regret that I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. It will be in the notes. You can study it if you're interested. But, <laughs> notice the next part of this prayer is the first time we're able to pray for something directly for ourselves. We've done all this praying and we're right now going to be able to pray for us to be forgiven. The implication is that our forgiveness should have been taken care of long before now as a part of our relationship with the Lord because His mercy is new every morning. But what are we praying for here? Well, there's only two things that really give the adversary access to defeat the soldiers of God. Unforgiven grudges and sins that aren't repented for. And so we pray. And I pray every day along this line. Father, I loose the spirit of grace upon myself and your people. That your grace would shine the light in our lives to reveal everything that we're not acknowledging is that's a grudge or offense. To reveal that. So that we would acknowledge it's a grudge or an offense. And that by your grace empowering us, we would not only be willing to forgive, but we'd be able to forgive. Because Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that if I don't forgive, I'm giving Satan the advantage over me. Kind of hard to win a war if I'm flat on my back or a prisoner of war. And then, of course, I can't be forgiven if I don't forgive because that's what Jesus said on numerous occasions, especially in this prayer, that I'm praying, Lord, forgive me as I forgive. And so, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, I loose the spirit of grace upon every soul. That the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the power of God would reveal those things that we are denying or sin to be sin. So that we would acknowledge them. So that we would repent for them. So that we could be forgiven. Jesus said in John 14, 30, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. So I want every grudge gone. And I want every sin that I haven't repented of gone. So that, so that. There would be nothing in me that belongs to Satan. There's nothing in me he could use to have power over me. There's nothing in me, in me that he can use to defeat me. Those prayers in this prayer are prayers for protection for the soldier. And then, Scripture says that we're to pray, lead us not into temptation. Well, how do we get led into temptation? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed and when Lust hath conceived that brings forth sin, and when sin is finished, it brings forth death. So if I'm praying not to be led in temptation, what I'm really praying for is victory over my flesh, over the lusts of my flesh. Jesus said through the Apostle John, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If 
any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abides forever. It's not an exact quote, but hopefully close enough. So, if it's my flesh and the lust of my flesh that draws me into temptation, and I'm praying, lead us not into temptation. I'm not blaming God for me being tempted. What I'm praying for is the deliverance. Paul said, the things I want to do, Romans 7, things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank my God through, through Christ Jesus. So, how do I get delivered from this? Galatians 5.16, I've got to walk in the Spirit. If I walk in the Spirit, I'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I walk in the Spirit, I need to live in the Spirit. If I live in the Spirit, I need to die out to the flesh. Romans 8.13-14 If you walk in the flesh, if you fulfill the flesh, you're going to die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. But there's a greater step than that. Ye are dead and your life, life is hid with Christ and God. But there's even a greater step than that. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ himself is living through me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, it's not me living it in the flesh. But the Son of God is living through me by His faith because He loved me and gave Himself for me. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, and we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he that liveth should not henceforth live unto himself, but unto him that died for him and rose again. I was dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1. And Christ died in my place. He died so I could live. Now I've got to die so he can live. He died so that I could be resurrected from my death, being dead in trespasses and sins. But I need to die out to this flesh and its lusts so that he can live through me and I might be a conduit for him reaching this lost and dying world. Jesus' name. It said, and lead us, and uh, lead us not in temptation, deliver us from the evil, from the evil. The Greek scholars say that that Greek construction actually means the evil one. So I'm not saying this is the way to pray this. This is the way that I usually pray it because it's what the Lord gave me to pray. The Lord may gave, give you some other way to pray. Lord, deliver us from the evil one in his kingdom and deliver the king the evil one in his kingdom into our hands. That by Luke ten nineteen by the, the authority that you have given to us, we might tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy because you promised that nothing would by any means hurt us. Lord, you promised that no weapon that's formed against us would prosper and every mouth that opens against us in judgment we'd condemn because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and our righteousness is of you, Lord. Deliver the kingdom of darkness in our hands 
because, so that we might bind their kings with chains and their princes with fetters of iron. This honor have all the saints. Psalms 149. Jesus' name. And then finally, it's so important in my opinion to pray the motive check. I'm not asking these things so that you would make my name great, so that you'd make your name great. All that I'm praying, Father, is for you and for your kingdom. I'm a participant with you. I'm a part of your life, part of your plans. I'm a part of your purpose. I want to go where you're going, do what you do, and say what you're saying. I belong to you. There's not any part of me that belongs to me. All of me belongs to you. Jesus' name. Because it's all for your kingdom. It's all being done and prayed by your power. And all of the glory for whatever's done is yours. Forever and ever. Amen. Now, at some point in this prayer, almost every day, I pray the Lord's most specific prayer request. He said, Matthew chapter 9 is one place, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Oh, there's nobody out there wants what we've got. That's not true. That is a lie from the pits of hell. There's millions upon millions of people that want what we have. The problem is, it's not a shortage of a harvest that's ready to be harvested. It's a shortage of people to go harvest it. So he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray. This is a command. This is the tense of command. Pray ye. That's a tense of command. He commanded us to pray this. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth, as King James, send forth laborers into his harvest. And that that uh, Greek word translated send forth in other places is translated thrust out, compel or force out into your harvest. This is so amazing to me. The Greek word there, and I, I'm not a Greek scholar, so my pronunciation's not going to be good. But the Greek word is ekbalo, E-K-B-A-L-L-O, is the English equivalent letters. That word is almost always used in reference to those with authority and power casting out devils. That they are being thrust out of that body, that soul, that life, against their will, by authority. And the Holy Ghost chose that same word in the command for us to pray that God would not let the laborers sit around in the barn comfortable, cleaning their fingernails, drinking coffee or tea, Diet Coke, snacking on dessert, while the world goes to hell. He commanded us to pray. 
commanded us to pray as a part of his kingdom to thrust his people out of their place of comfort by whatever means necessary into the harvest field so that those souls would have a chance to be saved. There's another one of those prayers. That's not very nice of you, Brother Wright. That's not my words. I got a question for you. Do you really want to, brother, sister, face the Lord Jesus Christ in the judgment and him ask you the question that he already knows the answer to and you will too? Did you pray the prayer I commanded you to pray? My kingdom prayer. And then did you specifically pray my prayer that laborers would be thrust out in the field I sowed, I cultivated, I nurtured, I rained on so that it would grow and be ready for harvest? Did you pray that laborers would be in that field? Did you pray that? Did you pray that I would do whatever was necessary to get laborers out of their place of comfort and ease and self-centered lifestyle out into the harvest field so these souls would not go to hell forever? Did you pray that? Well, Brother Wright, you know, I'm not comfortable praying that. Yeah, I know why we aren't comfortable praying that. We're not comfortable praying it because the prayer will be one of the first ones thrust into the field. That's why we don't pray it. The Bible says, oh, I thought I was through. I'm going to read this. It's in my notes here if you let me get there just for a moment. <sighs> Judges 5.23 Curse ye Miros, said the angel of the Lord, Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Today's English verse, version says, Put a curse on me, Rose, says the angel of the Lord. A curse, a curse on those who live there. They did not come to help the Lord, come as soldiers to fight for him. Easy to read version of the Bible says, The angel of the Lord said, Curse the city of Meros, curse its people. They did not come with soldiers to help the Lord. God's word translation says it this way. Curse me, Rose, said the messenger of the Lord. Bitterly curse those who live there. They did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord and his heroes. The, the verse that huh, I hear in my sleep sometimes that I can't hardly pray without thinking about it, is Psalm 79, 11. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. Now in the context, of course, this prayer was prayed to God. But in a New Testament application, who is it that God works through? Who is he given power through? Two to work through. Who is it? I believe this prayer is supposed to be prayed for us. And we're supposed to respond to this. 
let the sighing of the prisoners come before you. Let God let you hear what he hears. When the sinner lays on his bed in the middle of the night and he doesn't even know what's wrong and doesn't know what to say, and all he can do is sigh because that's the only way to express what he's really feeling. Lost, hopeless, helpless. The man by the pool of Bethesda, how can I accept some man? Help me. There's no man. I have no man. Help me get out of the water when there's trouble. Ethiopian eunuch. You understand what you read? How can I except some man guide me? Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. What are, what, what are we going to be doing here in this week of warfare? What are we going to be doing? What are we doing? We're going to let the sighing of the prisoner come before us. We're going to pray kingdom prayer for those that cannot save themselves. They don't know how to be saved. They don't know what to do to be saved. They don't even know what's wrong. They're blinded. They're bound. They're captives. They need to be free. They're not denying God. They're only parroting what that, the devil's putting in their head. They need to be saved. Somebody's got to pray them free. Somebody's got to pray them free. And then two of the verses that are the most challenging and condemning verses in all the Bible. I'm closing with these, believe it or not. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Dear one, the Lord God said that his mercy his love would have spared people's lives except that he couldn't violate his own word and he needed a man a man singular a man who was willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge for them that he wouldn't have to destroy them someone to stand there for them as Abraham stood for Sodom and Gomorrah the Lord didn't tell him to stop praying at 10 but he, the Lord agreed that if he could find ten righteous, he would have spared those most wicked of cities. Because Abraham stood in the gap, made up the hedge. And the Lord said, I, I would have spared him. I'd have spared him. But I couldn't find him. I found none. So his word required him to pour out his wrath upon these sinners. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't what he wanted to do. But they were sinners. He was bound by his word to judge them because he couldn't find anybody that would pray and stand in the gap for them. There's only one more briefing before call to war for the prayer chain. I hope you have endured to the end on this. 
gone over two hours. I understand that's a long time, but I've only skimmed the surface on all that could be prayed and said about all this. I got notes to have gone another two hours easy. <laughs> Not because of me, just there's that much to talk about. But I've shared enough that if you really want to be a part of the kingdom, you can take these basic principles that I have shared with you today and you and Jesus can work out how you can be more involved with the kingdom. You work it out. He'll teach you. He'll guide you. He'll use you. The lost of this world are counting on it. The lost of the backsliders, your family and friends who are backslidden, your enemies who are backslidden are counting on it. Someone needs to stand in the gap, make up the hedge for them so they can be saved. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be me? Or is the Lord going to say, couldn't find anyone. Couldn't find anyone who was willing to do it. In the Old Testament, when uh, he sought for an intercessor and marveled, was stupefied is the Hebrew word. He was dumbstruck that he couldn't find an intercessor. He put on flesh as a man so that flesh could be the intercessor for us. But we are that flesh in this generation, in this covenant. The church of the living God is that man, is that flesh. The question is, are we going to obey him? Are we going to do his will? Thank you for listening. Father, I come before you for myself, my family the church that I'm a bishop of, for the district that I'm a superintendent of, the organization that I fellowship with, for the movement that I'm a part of, for the body of believers, whatever name they go by that you receive as yours throughout this world. I come before you in behalf of all of us that you would speak to us, that you would work in us, that you would do your will in us, that you would help us, that you would open our eyes and let us see with your eyes and that we would hear with your ears and our heart would perceive what you perceive, that we would be moved by the lost of this world, that we might fulfill our place and part in your plan that you might be able to give the mighty revival and harvest that you've promised. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that it is so. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, God bless you.